Let's read God's Word. This is um, really part of the armor of God that we're given. And so as we do open it up, we'll um, open our hearts to receive God's Word for us today. And we're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read out of the New International Version. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Read along if you will, or just listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May our hearts meditate on it this morning, and may the words of Bill's mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you. And we pray for the armor to shield us from the attacks, and then not only uh, that we may stand in a defensive stance, but that we may stand firm in you as your kingdom advances on earth as it is already in heaven. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Have you taken that southwest flight from LAX up to SFO? And I love the window, and you get to see the contours of the land as you fly over the coast, and it's just beautiful, and I always think, oh, hey, man, I, I like to go down there. I like to visit there, and oh, look, look, dip down in there, and let, let's take a peek at that. This is how we've been doing the letter of Ephesians. We've been flying over really high, and every once in a while we dip in. And I just have this sense, you know, this, there, there's so much. I want to go down and spend more time here, but we're at the end of the letter. And we're going to conclude it uh, this morning. It reminds me of when uh, my friend Kevin Wesley, who's a pilot, invited Cynthia, myself, and our little son, Connor, at that time to come fly with him from Hawthorne Airport up to Santa Barbara to have lunch. And uh, Cynthia and I tucked into the back of this metal tube, crushed, holding on to each other, while Kevin, the pilot, and Connor in the co-pilot seat are up in the air and flying. And Kevin says to Connor, hey, Connor, want to fly the plane? And I'm like, no, no, don't, don't pass those bags yet. Just, just hang on to that bag. 
And, and, and uh, um, Kevin says to Connor, you want to fly the plane? And Cynthia and I are in the back, squished in this capsule, like, no way, little kids are not supposed to fly the plane. And Connor takes, what do you call that, the yoke? Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and, and he's flying, and I am petrified in the back, and I have now no control. And Kevin says, hey, Connor, just push that thing forward a little bit. The plane kind of goes, you know, like this down. Kevin says, no, 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 Connor, no, no, no. Push it forward harder. So Connor, you know, he, doesn't know he, he just pushes it forward. Now all of a sudden the plane's like going, going down. I mean, I grabbed onto Cynthia and I thought our lives are now over. It's terrifying not to have that kind of control. You feel like there, there, there's, there's something else out there. And this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, to uh, fly into the sixth chapter of Ephesians that Tommy has read. And we're going to take a look at, at the dark side, the dark forces of evil. And I'm not looking forward to this. I've had wonderful people praying, praying for me as I teach, praying for us as a church. And uh, I don't know um, that I want to do this. But if Paul lands the plane at this point in the letter, then we have to do it too. We follow his lead. We go into Ephesians chapter 6. We live in a paradox, what theologians have called, we live in the already, but the not yet. The already is Jesus defeated the, the enemy and the powers of evil on the cross and the resurrection, but he's not been fully yet cast out. So we live in the not yet. It's the struggle that you and I are in. And C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The Screwtape Letters, and in the book he says, hey, look it, um, don't ignore the evil one. But on the other hand, don't get too obsessed over all the details of his life. And so I'm going to try to strike that balance. I think Paul does as well. We live in a modern world where, hey, we don't talk about the devil. In fact, a lot of people don't even believe in the devil. But after a Florida school shooting, do you believe in evil? Yeah. There is evil in the world that wants to destroy. And we're going to talk about that today. And so I just look at this passage, I think of it in two sides. One, we're going to take on the devil's schemes, as Paul said. And secondly, we're going to put on the full armor of God. And again, we're going to fly over it. I wish we could just take lots of time to settle into this. But we're not going to do that. What are the devil's schemes in 2018. And I think, number one, he lies to you. He's a liar. And if you take the letter of Ephesians, and as you've been walking with us through this, as the messages and in grounded groups, the devil's primary attack is to take what Paul has said in the first three chapters about your identity in Christ... And he wants to confuse it, he wants to discourage it, and he wants to lie about it. He wants to tell you, you are not what Jesus has made you to be. If you remember the first three chapters, it's our exalted position in Christ. You've been chosen, you've been adopted into his family, you've been redeemed by Christ, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, 
Paul prays for us. He wants us to know the hope, to know the glorious inheritance we have in Christ. Chapter 2, we've been made alive in Christ. We've been raised alive in Christ. And we've been seated alive with Christ in the heavenly places right now. And the devil wants to lie to us about that and get us to forget it and not to believe it. Those are his schemes in 2018. The cross of Christ has broken down every division between people on this planet. It is a potential that we can come together. And the devil wants to destroy that. Paul says that we as followers of Jesus are being built into a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And the evil one wants to discourage us and think, no, we're, we're nothing. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, in him, that's Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with what? With freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. Jesus wants to let us live in freedom and confidence as we approach God. And the devil's primary scheme is to steal your freedom. And he does a pretty good job of it. We become enslaved. We're in bondage at times. And he wants us to have, Jesus wants us to have confidence as we go before the Father, eliminating guilt and shame and recrimination and regret. Freedom and confidence. And I can guarantee you, whether you believe in the devil or not, that's where he's going to attack in your life. He's going to lie to you. And make you a slave all over again. And he's going to attack and confuse everything that Paul talked about our practice as followers of Jesus in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Paul said, guard the unity of the faith. And the devil wants to divide us and get us angry at one another. Notice the, thing that, the things that Paul tells us to put off. This is where the devil loves to just take the opportunity when these things crop up in our lives. Falsehood, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jesting. Paul says these are fruitless deeds of darkness, yet the evil one wants to turn them into his fruit and stimulate them and exacerbate them and get them to multiply like fruit within our lives and in our midst. In chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says that before you came to Christ, you followed the ways of this world, you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and you followed your own flesh. The world the devil, and our flesh. And the devil oftentimes doesn't have to work that hard. He just keeps fanning the flames of a world that is set against God and also our own flesh as he lies to us. Paul invites us to freedom. 
You remember what James said last week when we think about our practice as followers of Christ. These are not additional rocks that we need to put into an already heavy backpack. Jesus has called us to freedom and confidence. And so if anger has got a a, a foothold in our lives, if there's a root of bitterness... It's not the anger and the bitterness that's the primary problem. There is something underneath. And life is hard. And we've had experiences and pain and difficulties. And then we've been bruised and mistreated and we've made poor choices. It is oftentimes our reaction to the situations in life that then the devil uses to steal our freedom to steal our confidence. So Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, finally, is this the end of the letter? You know, in one sense, what Paul is saying, finally, from this point forward, until the end of your life, from this point forward until Jesus comes and sets everything right, from this point forward, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul loves to talk about power and authority. And Paul says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now available to you and to me. Be strong in that power, he says. Verse 11, so put on the full armor of who? Of God. I want to remind you, this is God's armor. It's his resources. It's not ours. We don't have to generate this. We don't have to somehow grit our teeth. Verse 12, he says, for our struggle, the word struggle is a hand-to-hand combat. It's close up. You and I are called into a battle, into a struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. Oh, yeah, the evil one uses our bickering and fighting. But there's a cosmic spiritual conflict going on. And Paul says that they're the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a real enemy of God and of humankind. He is an enemy. He's our enemy. His only purpose since he's been defeated at the cross, now he's angry and he just wants to steal our freedom through his lies. So Paul says, put on the armor of God. He talks about these enemies in three ways. One, they're tricky. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's very tricky. In Genesis Genesis 3, there's this idea, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. A wonderful professor of mine said this. Here's a quote. Evil rarely looks evil until it has accomplished its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged He's tricky. Secondly, he's also powerful. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. 
When Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, there's one point where the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then the evil one whispered to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. He's the ruler of this world. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. But Christ has left the devil only the power that unbelief grants him. Let's remind ourselves that he is an ultimately defeated enemy who's merely flailing about as a last-ditch effort to fight against God and to defeat those who follow him. Thirdly, Paul says that they're wicked. Our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Verse 12. Jesus was talking about those that were opposing him. John 8, he says, You belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of lies. It's where he traffics today. So Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Part of the ways he devours us is if we just are ignorant to his wickedness and his power and his schemes, his trickery. We just, we just don't even think about it. Other times we give him power. We lend him power. We make agreements with the evil one through our reactions to the stuff of life. And Paul in the letter of Ephesians just is so clear in laying out we don't have to go down that road. There's a pathway out. There is freedom for us to enjoy. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life and life to the full. That is what is available to us today. In the reality that his intention, the evil one, is to, to destroy human life, to, to take it away, to kill. And sometimes he does it by murder, and other times he does it by trickery and lying. But Jesus says, no, I... I came to give you life, life to the full. That's what God is about. He, his trajectory of this project that God is about in restoring this world is to bring freedom to men and women. True freedom. And the evil one wants to destroy that. So, secondly, Paul says, put on the armor of God. Verse 13, again, put on the full armor of God so you can stand your ground. Paul, as he casts this vision, he imagines the church of Jesus Christ. There is no retreat 
And there is no defeat in his vision. We do not have to fear. We can approach God with freedom and confidence that we are victors in this battle. Stand your ground. Paul says it four times. Take your stand. Stand your ground. After you've done everything, stand. Stand firm. It's this beautiful picture of the soldier fully outfitted with all the armor that he needs, standing their ground with confidence. As uh, William Wallace said in Braveheart about Longshanks, said to his scared compadres, let's go pick a fight. With confidence, we can take our stand. This full armor of a heavily armed soldier, the word that Paul uses is panoplia. In English, it's panoply, which means this wonderfully splendid, rich, full resource that's on display for the world to see. And you see there in verse 14 and 18, the six pieces of armor. And I kind of want to strip it out of that military metaphor and just remind us what the pieces of armor are. What, what, what is behind that metaphor? Six of them. There's truth. There's righteousness. There's the gospel of peace. There's faith, salvation, and the word of God. And then for a seventh, Paul says, permeate it all with prayer. I just want to remind you, he says, Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, put the shoes on of the gospel of good news, of peace. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. I just want to remind you, this is God's armor. So it's not as if somehow we, we have to, you know, like muster up and defend the truth. Or somehow we have to have all, all the righteousness in and of ourselves. Or that, 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 that somehow faith is up to us. No, this is, this is God's truth. This is God's righteousness more than my righteousness. I take God's righteousness and I put it as a breastplate around me. And then I top it with the helmet of his salvation. You have been saved by grace through faith. This is God's armor. It is a resource that he is our captain, makes available to us. And Paul says, put it on. Take it up and put it on and stand your ground against the defeated evil one. I want to focus just on one. In verse 16, Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? The, the shield that Paul is referring to here is not a small shield, it's a big shield. It's tall enough for a soldier to get behind and wide enough for them to, to actually be completely covered by the shield. And it had a wooden frame and it had uh, metal ribbings around it. The leather then was stretched tight and then they would dip it in water. And then they could be behind that shield. And when the enemy dipped their arrows in tar and lit them on fire, like the evil one loves to do, to shoot an arrow at you, the shield, boom, puts out the fire, stops the fiery arrow. And it wasn't just one individual with a shield. 
They would stand shoulder to shoulder as a community, as a fighting force against the evil one. And then they would interlock like shiplap. They would interlock. Hey, wait, I just want to show you something real quick. Look what the, look. Oh, come on. I said shiplap right there. Thank you to Amy and to Julie and to Lynn. I better button my shirt again. Shiplap. Shiplap's that wood that, uh, uh, that fits together. And that's what they would do with the shields. Those soldiers would, would say, we need each other. And it wasn't just a defensive move, cowering behind the shield, but that army would put their shields in front of them that could extinguish all the flaming arrows, and they would march forward to defeat the enemy. That's the vision Paul has for the church. We do it together. We don't, we're not alone. We do it together. Paul says, in addition to all this, faith is that which is instrumental and important in every situation and in all things. And when I think of faith, what is faith? I think it's simply trust. Jesus, I don't have it in me, but I will trust you in this moment. Jesus, I will trust you with my children. Jesus, I will trust you in my marriage in this moment. Jesus, I will trust you in my chemistry test. And Jesus, I will trust that what you say about me is true, what the evil one wants to feed into my brain is a lie. You tell me the truth. And again, I want to remind you, this is God's armor. It is never about how much faith we have. It's never about how much faith we have. The faith of a mustard seed, Jesus says, we just... We turn our trust in his direction. It is the faithfulness of God that will protect us. God, I haven't been faithful, but you are. You are faithful. Jesus is faithful to the end. So what is it that protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one? I want to suggest to you that what it is, is our relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. Being drawn closer into the knowledge of who God is. Not religion, not even obedience, though that's a part of it. A trustworthy relationship where we're drawn closer into an intimate friendship with God. Paul prayed that you, that you may know him better. And then he says in verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. This is an expansive prayer. And the word that keeps coming up at the river in our conversations about where God is leading us at least for this season, is the word abide. Jesus said, abide in me. Abide means to stay in the same place for a long time. I encourage you to read through the letter that Paul writes to this church in Ephesus and notice how many times he talks about us 
being in Christ. We are in Christ. We are shiplapped to Jesus. Jesus invites us, abide with me. Rest in me. Stay with me. I think part of abiding is to let Jesus begin to identify what are the things Paul's talked about in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that he would like to heal. Maybe it's anger. Anger is not really the problem. Jesus said, or Paul said, be angry but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is like a rock that's in our backpack. It's like garbage. Emotional or spiritual garbage. And underneath that anger is a reason why we choose anger. A lever gets hit and we choose anger. And Jesus, through our abiding in him, wants to heal the anger. And it's never about, i got to stop being angry. It's always about, what, what's going on underneath there? Where's the root of this? So Paul says, hey, don't let a root of bitterness take hold. All sorts of rocks that might be in our lives, emotional, spiritual rocks, or garbage, if you will. That's why Paul says in chapter 4, verse 22, he says, hey, I want you to put off these things, and I want you to put on these things. And he ends the letter by talking about, and put on the armor of God. All sorts of stuff, he says, just get rid of it, put it off like dirty clothes, take it off and put on the, the new identity that Christ has created for you. And in the middle of put off and put on, Paul says you do this, by developing a new attitude in your mind. So oftentimes, the devil puts thoughts in our minds or suggestions in our minds. This is where the lies take root. This is where the temptations come, and we mull them over, and they become, through our rationalizations, the right route to take. And Paul says, develop a new attitude in your mind. Let the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, let it just wash out our minds and, and give, us, give us a new thought life that leads then to different patterns of behavior, which then breaks old habits. It's a struggle. This is not easy. This takes a lot of work. It's not instantaneous. It's different than being forgiven because we bring a lot of baggage with us. And then the devil just messes with it on that. What did Jesus say? I want you just to rest in this a moment. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. When a friend of mine told me this week, you know, if you feel like his burden is heavy and his yoke is too hard, it just means we need to spend a little bit more time in quiet with him. 
Blaise Pascal and Pensy said this, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I'm an activist and I want to get going. I want to make things happen. It's hard for me to sit. And so when I think about prayer, prayer is difficult for me. So just be quiet. So I've discovered in my weakness that the best prayer times I have is when I get on my bike. And I ride around the peninsula and I ride up and through all the hills and through the South Bay. And you know what I've discovered is that prayer time is so rich. There's something about the endorphins in my body, the sweat, my breathing, and the rhythm of the pedals going around and hearing the gears and, 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 and just like getting in the zone. And I have the best conversations with God. And it's when he begins to point out areas in my life that he'd like to heal. And I am able to listen, really listen. And by the way, I pray for you when I'm writing especially when I'm up in the hills and I know I'm going near your house. I don't know where all of you live, and someone on the beach this morning uh, sent me their address so that I would pray for them. <laughs> but I do. I think of you, and I, and I, I pray for you, and, and, um, and I let Jesus speak to the deepest, the deepest parts in my life. We're going to come to the table in a moment. And... Uh, We need this table. This table represents the broken body of Jesus for you and his spilt blood. His body on the cross and his blood shed for us, providing forgiveness of sins. He said, when you come to the table, when you you feast on this bread and this wine, he says, do it in remembrance of me. This is not to remind us how bad we are. Though we do have to come to the end of our rope and we cry out to God and say, God, unless you save me, I am lost. But this table is here to remind us of all that Paul has told us. You are a chosen, adopted child of God. Redeemed. Made alive in Christ. And currently, positionally, you are seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And the devil is a defeated enemy, and you can take your stand. So when you come to the table, take and eat and rejoice that you're in Christ. Brad, why don't you guys come on up, the band, you guys and Olivia. We're going um, to pass our offering bags now. And uh, I want you to wait till the bags are passed. The band's going to play. And then after the bags are passed, then, then uh, they'll lead us. And this song is a song that the enemy hates. The devil doesn't like it when we worship. I want to remind you of that. We're not just singing songs up here, listening to a really cool band. We are calling on the power of Jesus to lead us into this week. And so when we sing these words, these lyrics, I just want you to shout it out as a victory song that it allows us to take on the armor of God and to be fit to go into this week. So 
come to the table. When you come back, let's just all end up standing up. Will you? Brad, will you guys lead us? And Olivia?